Dear Father in heaven, thank you once again for the privilege of life. Thank you, Lord, for also providing the basic necessities for us to survive. Dear Father, as we have been learning about the work of reform that we ought to do in our lives, once again we are here for you to speak to us that our lives may indeed be reformed. Grant us of your spirit and help us to rightly divide the word of truth to the end that will reflect the image of God in our lives. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, September 21 One of God's Great Men He will be one of God's great men. He will touch neither wine nor strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit from the moment of his birth. Luke chapter 1 verse 15 On heaven's record of noble men, the Savior declared that there stood not one greater than John the Baptist. The work committed to him was one demanding not only physical energy and endurance, but the highest qualities of mind and soul. So important was right physical training as a preparation for this work that the highest angel in heaven was sent with a message of instruction to the parents of the child. They were to faithfully cooperate with God in forming such a character in John as would fit him to perform the part God had assigned him. John was the son of their old age. He was a child of miracle, and the parents might have reasoned that he had a special work to do for the Lord and the Lord would take care of him. But the parents did not thus reason. They moved to a retired place in the country where their son would not be exposed to the temptations of city life or induced to depart from the counsel and instruction which they as parents would give him. In the wilderness, John could the more readily deny himself and bring his appetite under control and dress in accordance to natural simplicity. And there was nothing in the wilderness that would take his mind from meditation and prayer. Satan had access to John even after he had closed every avenue in his power through which he would enter. But his habits of life were so pure and natural that he could discern the foe and had the strength of spirit and decision of character to resist him. The book of nature was opened before John with its inexhaustible store of varied instruction. He sought the favor of God and the Holy Spirit rested upon him and kindled in his heart a glowing zeal to do the work of calling the people to repentance and to a higher and holier life. John was fitting himself by the privations and hardships of his secluded life to so control all his physical and mental powers that he could stand among the people as unmoved by surrounding circumstances as the rocks and mountains of the wilderness that had surrounded him for 30 years. Amen. 
The title of our devotion for today is One of God's Great Men. And the person being referred to here is John. Moving from the part where we stopped in our devotion in the days of Nehemiah to John, there is a very large gap. There's at least four to five hundred years gap. Nehemiah lived around 444 BC and John comes into the picture around 27 AD and a little bit before that. This time, the gap that existed between Nehemiah and John, we would look at in subsequent devotions. But suffice to say that the Jews after the days of Nehemiah had been distracted from their purpose and were diverted from the aim of their existence. The reforms which were instituted in Nehemiah's days were lost in the minds of the people. True pride and some circumstances that led to the misunderstanding of the scriptures, of course the devil's hand was in it, the people of Israel had become divided. While some of them had become dogmatic and power-hungry, Others were very loose and had lost faith in God and accepted Greek fables for truth. Malachi was raised up as a prophet between this time. In these days to the people concerning the plan of God to bring about salvation to the people, he spoke. One of his prophecies spoke of the plan of God to bring a prophet who will prepare the way for the Messiah. Malachi said in the book of Malachi 4 verse 5 and 6, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So from here we realize that before the coming of the Messiah, God promised that he will send a prophet like Elijah for the purpose of preparing the people to receive the Messiah. To let them know that the time was getting ripe for the Messiah to come and they were to prepare themselves. The angels of God had been working behind the scenes to bring about the events for this prophet to do his work. God carefully chose a family for this work. That family was the family of Zechariah. And Elizabeth. Reading from the book of Luke chapter 1 verse 5 and 7, we see why God chose them. It says, There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless and they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren and they both were now well stricken in years. From here we learn something. God couldn't have committed this high and sacred work to parents who had not proven themselves. The qualification was written there. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments of and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. This is why they were chosen for the work to prepare that man who will be one of God's great men. God could entrust them with the training of a child that will do a holy and high work for him. 
When I read in Luke 1 verse 5, you hear about Herod, the king of Judah. We'll talk about that in subsequent devotions. How is it that we have a king? In the days of Nehemiah, there was no king in Judah. And this will be looked at in subsequent devotions. But for now, we are looking at the qualification for the parents who must bring up a child in the way of the Lord. In the Bible, in Luke 1 verse 6, we see the moral qualification in that they were righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. The Bible says God gives his verdict of them blameless. This is what we must be today if we must be reformers and if we must bring children up who will also do a great work. Reading from Ministry of Healing, page 380, paragraph 1 to 3, it says, The directions given concerning the Hebrew children teach us that nothing which affects the child's physical well-being is to be neglected. Nothing is unimportant. Every influence that affects the health of the body has its bearing upon mind and character. Let me stop for a while. Remember what we read in Conflict and Courage, today's devotion, page 270, paragraph 3, says that the parents were faithfully to cooperate with God in forming such a character in John as would fit him to perform the path God had assigned him. And in page 270, paragraph 2, we are told that the work committed to John was one demanding not only physical energy and endurance but the highest qualities of mind and soul. Now, we realize that there is this sympathy between the body and the mind and that is what parents must understand, that every influence that affects the health of the body has its bearing upon the mind and character. So I'll continue the reading in Ministry of Healing, page 380, this time paragraph 2 and 3. It says, Too much importance cannot be placed upon the early training of children. The lessons learned, the habits formed during the years of infancy and childhood have more to do with the formation of the character and the direction of the life than have all instruction and training after years. I'll stop now. These words are very important. Look at your life. Look at the life of your friends as they are adults. If you know some um, people, if you have an acquaintance, maybe your brothers, your sisters, and check, you'll find out that by and large, what many people are when they're adults is basically what they were in their youth and their childhood. Not so much changes except one comes to Christ. But it is from the childhood that we are to bring the children to Christ to form the character and give it an inclination in the right direction. So continuing the reading, it says, parents need to consider this. Consider what? Consider that the formation of character in the childhood will affect the training after years. That's what parents need to consider. So it says they should understand the principles that underlie the care and training of children. They should be capable of rearing them in physical, mental, and moral health. Parents should study the laws of nature. They should become acquainted with the organism of the human body. They need to understand the functions of the various organs and their relation and dependence. They should study the relation of the mental to the physical powers and the conditions required for the healthy action of each. To assume the responsibilities of parenthood without such preparation is a sin. End of quote. Hmm. It's a sin to assume the 
responsibilities of parenthood without knowing these things? What is the effect of the environment on the mind of a child? What is the effect of the food on the mind of the child? What is the effect of the body on the mind, of the state of the body, the physical training? How does it affect the mind? If you don't know these things as a parent and you get into rearing of children, like I just read now, it is a sin. Perhaps you'll be asking yourself, uh, is that not too extreme? Well, not my words, but the words from the Spirit of the Lord. And all you need to do if you made such a mistake is confess, not to justify yourself and then repent and start to do the work that you need to do. And for me, I would say, of course, now I see the responsibility for myself and you also need to see the responsibility for yourself. We are living in a time closer to the coming of Jesus. And as Jesus' coming was near in the days of John, the angel of God came to this family to tell them, there is a work to do. The Lord is telling us too that there is a work for us to do. Now, bringing children into the world has great responsibilities. Why? Because the aim of having a family in the first place is for raising godly seed. And if you don't have such an intention, then why get into it? Because God created marriage for that purpose, that it should be a glory to himself that we should raise godly seed. Not necessarily by giving birth to children and raising godly seed, but even if you adopt or both spouses work together to raise godly seed by training people and bringing them up in the way of the Lord, not necessarily their own children. So if we don't know the skills of raising godly seed and yet get into the work of rearing children, we will make a mess of it and that's why it is a sin. Because it were better you never did it. You will bring up children who will be a blot in the world, a stain upon the people who they would be relating with. And this is the reason why Elizabeth and her husband Zacharias did a very good job in bringing up John the Baptist. Conflict and Courage, page 270, paragraph 2 tells us, on heaven's record of noble men, the Savior declared that there stood not one greater than John the Baptist. The work committed to him was one demanding not only physical energy and endurance, but the highest qualities of mind and soul. So important was right physical training as a preparation for this work that the highest angel in heaven was sent with a message of instruction to the parents of the child. End of quote. And when the angel came to speak to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, reading from verse 13, it says, But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. Amen. One thing that this holy pair understood is that in order for their child to achieve the holy mission for which he was born, he would need to be raised in a pure moral atmosphere where he was going to have the best impressions on his mind and his diet was to be different. The angel said, this is what you are to do. And then he will be filled with, his holy, with the Holy Ghost from his womb. So they were supposed to maintain that. They were supposed to maintain it because God was going to do something that that child will be filled with the Holy Ghost even from the mother's womb. Now, why is it that the child was filled with the Holy Ghost even from the mother's womb? I'll tell you something. Remember that we read in verse 5 of Luke chapter 1 downward, verse 5 and 6, that these parents, they were godly. 
Do you think that God will come to tell any ungodly parent that their child will be filled with the Holy Ghost from the womb? It had something to do with Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were blameless. They bequeathed to their child a good heritage. They bequeathed to their child something that was a good legacy. And the legacy bequeathed to him was that he was filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. Why? Because both parents walked in all the commandments of God. And God then added to that by ensuring that they deserved this blessing of having a child that was filled with the Holy Ghost from the mother's womb. Now, they were supposed to maintain it. The child responded in the mother's womb even when Mary came to visit Elizabeth. In Luke chapter 1 verse 39 to 45 it says, And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah, and entered into the house of Zechariah and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. And in verse 44, Elizabeth said, For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Amen. John was already filled with the Holy Ghost from the womb. What did this mean? Surely one like him, who already had the Holy Ghost, can brave any danger and meet every temptation and conquer it. But no. What do we read about John after his birth? Luke 1 verse 80 says, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, and was in the desert till the day of his showing unto Israel. He was in the desert until his showing. So, that means the parents made a decision to take him into the wilderness, even though he was filled with the Holy Ghost because of the holy mission which he was to perform. What are the advantages of such an upbringing? Our devotion today, Conflict and Courage, page 270, paragraph 4, it says in the wilderness, John could more readily deny himself and bring his appetite under control and dress in accordance to natural simplicity. And there was nothing in the wilderness that would take his mind from meditation and prayer. Satan had access to John even after he had closed every avenue in his path through which he would enter, but his habits of life were so pure and natural that he could discern the foe and had strength of spirit and decision of character to resist him. End of quote. So here are written the advantages of being of receiving this kind of training. Today we and our children are to understand that a work very similar in nature, but even higher in importance, has been committed to us. As John was raised, to prepare the people for the first coming of Jesus, we and our children have been raised to prepare a people for the second coming of Jesus, the grandest, most majestic, awful and solemn work that will ever take place in this earth. In order to prepare others for this work, we must ourselves be prepared and ready to give the solemn message. The same preparation John had is the one we must have today. So what was this preparation? It was that he must be filled with the Holy Ghost and for him to be filled with the Holy Ghost he had to be taken to the wilderness reading from Testimonies volume 4 page 109 paragraph 1 it says John the Baptist was a man filled with the Holy Ghost from his birth and if there was anyone who would remain who could remain unaffected by the corrupting influences of the age in which he lived it was surely he yet he did not venture to trust his strength 
He separated himself from his friends and relatives that his natural affections might not prove a snare to him. He would not place himself unnecessarily in the way of temptation, nor where the luxuries or even the conveniences of life would lead him to indulge in ease or to gratify his appetite, and thus lessen his physical and mental strength. By such a course, the important mission upon which he came would have failed of its accomplishment. He subjected himself to privation and solitude in the wilderness, where he could preserve the sacred sense of the majesty of God by studying his great book of nature, and there becoming acquainted with his character as revealed in his wonderful works. It was an atmosphere calculated to perfect moral culture and to keep the fear of the Lord continually before him. John the forerunner of Christ, did not expose himself to evil conversation and the corrupting influences of the world. He feared the effect upon his conscience that sin might not appear to him so exceedingly sinful. He chose rather to have his home in the wilderness where his senses would not be perverted by his surroundings. Should we not learn something from this example of one whom Christ honored and of whom he said, Among them that are born of women, there had not risen a greater than John the Baptist? End of quote. You see, one aspect of the preparation of John was that he was to be brought up in a pure moral atmosphere, an environment where he will have the least invitations to sin. Today we are to do a similar work like that of John. If there is anyone who needs this pure moral atmosphere? It is more of us than John the Baptist. The evils and moral decadence that surrounds us today is appalling. If we and those whom we train must receive the right mold, we must have a pure moral atmosphere. And this is more to be found in the countryside, not in the cities. Also, the advantages of being around nature cannot be underestimated, for this also helps to impress heavenly truths upon the mind. Reading from Testimonies, Volume 6, page 195, we are told, Before the overflowing scourge shall come upon the dwellers of the earth, the Lord calls upon all who are Israelites indeed to prepare for that event. To parents, he sends the warning cry, Gather your children into your own houses. Gather them away from those who are disregarding the commandments of God, who are teaching and practicing evil. Get out of the large cities as fast as possible. Establish church schools. Give your children the word of God as the foundation of all their education. End of quote. So, here we are told, as fast as possible. As soon as you see the opportunity to leave the large cities, please do not delay. Leave. Do not linger like Lot. His children were corrupted because he chose to stay in Sodom, but the man himself was a just and righteous man. But his children, even though he locked them up in the house and they were virgins, yet they were corrupted by the things that they were seeing and hearing around them. His wife got attached to the pleasures of the scenes that were going on in the pleasures of money and the comfort of Sodom that she didn't want to leave. 
Let us not stay in the city to the point where it becomes something that we are attached to and we find it difficult to live or our children will find it difficult to live and they love that city life. We should live as soon as is possible for us to live. Also reading from Country Living, page 13, paragraph 1, we are told there is not one family in a hundred who will be improved physically, mentally or spiritually by residing in the city. Faith hope, love, happiness can far better be gained in retired places where there are fields and hills and trees. Take your children away from the sights and sounds of the city, away from the rattle and din of street cars and teams, and their minds will become more healthy. It will be found easier to bring home to their hearts the truth of the word of God." End of quote. Here again, we are seeing another advantage of going to a place that is retired, not where one, not where they cannot see nature. The things that they are to place in their, within their view are, like we read here, fields and hills and trees. Because the advantages of being in contact with, with nature is that the truths will find it easy to be brought home to their hearts because of the contact they are having with nature and also because of the fact that they are separated from hearing the sights and sounds of the city. Reading the Ministry of Healing, page 265 to 267, it says, Instead of dwelling where only the works of men can be seen, where the sights and sounds frequently suggest thoughts of evil, where turmoil and confusion bring weariness and disquietude. Go where you can look upon the works of God. Find rest of spirit in the beauty and quietude and peace of nature. Let the eye rest on the green fields, the groves and the hills. Look up to the blue sky, unobscured by the city's dust and smoke, and breathe the invigorating air of heaven. Go where, apart from the distractions and dissipations of city life, you can give your children your companionship, where you can teach them to learn of God through His works, and train them for lives of integrity and usefulness. Amen. And then in Country Living, page 16, paragraph 5 to page 17, paragraph 3, we are told, I look at these flowers and every time I see them, I think of Eden. They are an expression of God's love for us. Thus, he gives us in this world a little taste of Eden. He wants us to delight in the beautiful things of his creation and to see in them an expression of what he will do for us. He wants us to live where we can have elbow room. His people are not to crowd into the cities. He wants them to take their families out of the cities that they may better prepare for eternal life. In a little while, they will have to leave the cities. These cities are filled with wickedness of every kind, with strikes and murders and suicides. Satan is in them, controlling men in their work of destruction. Under his influence, they will they kill for the sake of killing, and this they will do more and more. If we place ourselves under our objectionable influences, can we expect God to work a miracle to undo the result of our wrong cause? No, indeed. Get out of the cities as soon as possible and purchase a little piece of land where you can have a garden where your children can watch the flowers growing and learn from them lessons of simplicity and purity. End of quote. Now, it may be 
that wherever you are, I know some places where in the countryside it is dangerous because firstly, maybe there are wild beasts and animals there or secondly, there are terrorists in the countryside and you need to go closer to the city because it is of it is a truth, I understand that, that some places the countryside is where the terrorists are. Wisdom tells you not to go there. There are other places in the countryside that are, that is safe. Don't go to the countryside where you know that there are terrorists, bandits and robbers or where wild animals are going to attack you. Don't say, oh, the Lord will take care of me. I'm going there in faith. No, the Lord has given us common sense. What we are actually studying here is that we need elbow room. Like we were told now, buy a piece of land, have a garden there. That suffices. But then that should be away from the cities. Do not say now that you are going to hazard yourself by going to a bush where animals are going to harass you or where terrorists will harass you. That is not what God is saying you should do. God is saying create for yourself a pure moral atmosphere. That is the most important thing because when we bring this to reality, we understand that the villages, the countryside, it doesn't mean there is no iniquity there. There is. Even many times, some estates are far better. Some estates in the city, as far as pure moral atmosphere goes, are better than the villages. You go to the villages and you hear your neighbor is playing the music and is banging it loud. There is no civility. But some cities in the estates, you find out that there is some sense of civility. You can even have your privacy. I'm not advocating that you go and stay in estates. I'm just telling you the difference. So what I'm saying is, what matters firstly is the pure moral atmosphere. While you go to the to the countryside, ensure that you can have elbow room. What is the elbow room there? It means that you're, you should have a location where your neighbors will not interfere with the training of your child. Of a truth, many children sitting in their house, their parents are not teaching them evil, but because of their neighbor who is playing one music here or there or just the streets, they hear things, they see things and they learn it not from their parents but from the environment. They don't have elbow room. We must have elbow room wherever we go to in such a way that we are the devil does not infiltrate and penetrate the walls of the Jerusalem you have built for yourself. This is what it means to create a pure moral atmosphere. That is the first thing and that can actually be achieved in some small towns. You can have that in some small towns. But then, the second thing is nature. There are some times you may be in some towns and you don't see nature around you. But if you have nature around you, then you are good to go. The two most important things here are, first of all, create have elbow room. Create a pure moral atmosphere for your children and for yourself. That is, ensure that nothing can come from the outside into your house that will corrupt the children. And of course, you, that is assuming that you are doing the right thing in your house. Having done that, that's the first thing to achieve and most important. The second is being in contact with nature. Because like I said, some people are in contact with nature in the countryside and the villages, but they are being corrupted by their neighbors and even by themselves because of the things they are watching and listening to. So these two things are important, but the emphasis I'm making here is a pure moral atmosphere and secondly, nature, being around nature. And what did we read here? Just the sight of the hills, the sight of the hills and fields. Not that they are going to use it for anything, just the sight alone has a soothing influence on the mind. 
where I am right now, just looking through the window, I can see a very big hill in my presence. It has a soothing influence on the mind. And then you can see, different depending on your location, if you go maybe towards the north, you don't have those very large bushes. You just have very small shrubs and fields. That's good to go. But if you go down south where the rain is much, you see big bushes and then that's where you now start to see those wild animals. Fine. Good to go. But of course, doesn't mean you must stay in the bush. All of this is the nature we're referring to and the flowers. We read about looking at the flowers that God wants us to have a taste of Eden. It is our duty. The fact is that when we check our class, not everybody can afford this immediately, but we can pray about it and ask the Lord. And that is why the word being used here is not saying go now, go now, but rather it's saying as fast as possible, as soon as possible. So we need to pray since the Lord has said that we should do it. We need to start praying and planning towards it. It is not something that you just do haphazardly, but you plan towards it and pray for God to open the way and provide the funds and the means for it and then you execute it. But then what happens when you cannot do it yet and then you want to have children? Should you have children? Perhaps you should consider not having them yet until you have prepared. What did God do for Adam? Did he just bring Adam when the place was not yet prepared for him? God used six days to prepare and the last thing he did was to bring the child after creating the environment. Parents, we do not do well when we do not create the right environment for the child and then we bring them into the world. We must first of all try to create the right environment, know that it is possible, then we can bring the child into the world and do all we can and pray for the blessings of the Lord both upon ourselves and upon our children. I know that these things can be done and I know they may sound daunting but you can trust in the Lord. He will bless you and give you the grace to execute it and the, the statement here is as soon as possible. Does that mean it is wrong for you to be in a city and then you give birth to a child? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that at least you should have plans that you are already making on ground before the child comes. And even when the child has come at a certain time, it's not immediately that it's not immediately John was born that they took him into the city, into the country. It's, it was after some time when he was born then they went into the countryside so also you may have your child now and you're saying oh have i done wrong in bringing the child when i didn't have any uh, pure moral atmosphere no i'm not saying that that may have been wrong but right now start making the plans to take the child to a retired location where the din and noise and the sights and sounds of the cities will not corrupt that child where you can have full control of all the influences coming into the mind of the child and when you have that control is now your duty to know the right thing be like elizabeth and her husband zechariah who the bible described where keeping the commandments of god all of it and working in all his ordinances they were blameless if we do this we can trust the lord to bring up our children to be reformers for our time and ourselves too not just our children we must be reformers too and we all will do the work together to prepare for the coming of the lord let us pray thank you dear father for the words that you have given to us we trust you that you can help us to achieve what we have just learned concerning um, a pure moral atmosphere living in the presence of nature we pray father that you would give us the grace and help us lord to find a way around it so that we can do what you want us to do in living a life that is preparing for the coming of our lord and savior jesus christ thank you for hearing our prayers and thank you for answering in jesus name i pray amen
You know, God really has been good. There's so many things that He does for us as human beings. Every moment of every day, He's looking down from heaven, watching each one of us so carefully, and He loves us so much. Jesus proved that. He shed His blood on Calvary. And if Jesus would die for us, surely every blessing, every need, will be more than supplied. God loves you, and He is going to meet the needs of His children. Thank you.